If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew 5. We will be looking at verses 31 and 32 today. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Susie Dickinson, Dickinson is a classmate and neighbor of Calvin in the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. And, and in one of the strips, she somehow persuades Calvin to play house with her. And it begins with Susie saying to Calvin, darling, I'm home and I brought a surprise. Calvin says to himself, let's hope it's a divorce. <laughs> Susie with great joy says again, darling, I stopped at the hospital and, and on the way home. Don't call me darling, responds Calvin. Susie ignores his comment. And she joyfully uh, tells him what she brought home from the hospital. She says, I brought home our new baby. What shall we name him? With a look of surprise and shock on his face, Calvin says, a baby? I don't want a baby. And our baby is a rabbit? How come we have a rabbit? He's not a rabbit. He's a little boy. And we should call him Jeffrey, okay, says Susie. He looks at the rabbit. Calvin says, he looks like a rabbit to me. <laughs> Susie says, we'll just pretend he's a boy. And at this point, Calvin is beside himself. He's frustrated. He's into his feelings. And he, he's had enough. And he says, no, this is idiotic. I refuse. Playing house makes me sick. And I'm leaving. How many couples in churches around America are sick of playing house? And how many have left? How many marriages end in divorce because couples enter marriage to simply play house instead of working together to build one? Divorce is a legal decree dissolving a marriage. And it's a common ethical issue inside and outside the church, even this church. It's, it's common in our families, cultures, and nations. Listen to some of these statistics from our country. It says 40 to 40% to 50% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. 40% of all first-time marriages end in divorce. And those who have divorced and remarried, that, that, that goes up even higher to 60%. Divorce is common. And this common ethical issue is going to be addressed today in the context of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Because he addresses it. And here's my point. You can write this down if you take notes. Striving for relational faithfulness helps you to resist a cavalry approach to divorce. It helps you not to have some offhanded attitude about the issue. So if you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32, and receive with great joy the words of your Savior. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, this is a difficult subject to talk about. And to be honest with you, I really don't want to talk about it. Uh, and I'm a little nervous. And so I just pray that your spirit would take over 
and that he will be the one that is speaking and he will be the one bringing glory to your name. And so I pray for the body here that you will let everyone hear what they need to hear today in a way that edifies them, in a way that builds them up. I don't want anyone to to leave here feeling like they've been beat up by the scriptures from the pulpit. That is not the intent. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take hold of our hearts and hold of our minds as we come and deal with a sensitive issue. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus approaches divorce the same way he does adultery in verses 27 through 30. And well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? A familiar phrase is implied by Jesus in verse 31. He says, it was also said. And y'all should know the implied phrase at this point. Jesus has consistently used this phrase throughout the Sermon on the Mount so far. And the phrase is this. You have heard that it was said to those of old. You have heard that it was said to those of old. You have heard that it was said to your forefathers and your foremothers. The phrase is a reference to Israel's traditional, historical, and cultural understanding and interpretation of God's word and God's law. It communicates a strictly literal interpretation. It focuses on the letter of the law, highlights only the external obedience and external behavior only. In verse 31, Jesus connects this phrase to Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Do any of you know that passage? Have you memorized that passage? Is Moses teaching on divorce? It's the Old Testament law concerning this ethical issue. You see, marriages in the Old Testament are just as hard as marriages today in, in 2019. <laughs> just as hard. TB Saints, marriage isn't easy. It takes hard work. And some of the marriages in, in ancient Israel won't last because of various reasons. The law in Deuteronomy 24, it doesn't command divorce, but it does permit it under certain circumstances. It doesn't command divorce, but it permits it under certain circumstances. It permits it with restrictions and with boundaries. So first, marriage is one-sided in the Old Testament. Only the husband can dissolve a marriage by divorce. But now, according to one author, author an aggrieved wife can, through the influence of family or the clan and other pressures, force the husband to give her a certificate of divorce. So there are times where the wife can secure one. Second, a husband can divorce his wife if he's found some indecency in her. And this indecency has to be something that threatens the foundation of the marriage covenant. And third, the husband must give his wife a formal certificate of divorce. To make it legal. And fourth, the husband can't later remarry her. And this is what Moses writes in Deuteronomy 24. It's a long passage, so bear with me. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then, he find, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, 
he writes her a certificate of divorce and put it into her hands and send her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the later man, latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it into her hands, sends her out of his house. Or if the man dies who took her as his wife, then the former, former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. This is an abomination before the Lord. You should not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Again, Moses isn't commanding divorce. He permits it because he knows that some marriages in ancient Israel will not make it. He allows it under certain circumstances with certain regulations. His intent is to slow husbands down. That's his intent, to slow them down to prevent them from divorcing their wives for any reason. Because, again, in this culture, the wives really had no, women had no rights. Everything was one side towards the male. So Moses is trying to slow the Israelite men down so they don't divorce their wives for any reason. He even protects the wives, divorced women. The certificate of divorce allows her to remarry. Without that, she can't. And in this culture, marriage was security. For women in this culture. One author puts it this way. The intent of the law of Moses was not to give men freedom to divorce their wives for any reason. It was meant to uphold marriage and to protect women for being divorced for no reason. What is your view of marriage? What is the state of your marriage? What is the view of divorce? What are, the, what are some reasons your marriage can end? What are the certain circumstances? And who sets the ground rules for divorce? Is it you? Is it American culture? Or is it God himself? Deuteronomy 24 seems to be clear. It it seems to be straightforward. But something has happened throughout the centuries in Israel concerning divorce. A practice is currently taking place that concerns Jesus. In verse 31, he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Do you notice what's missing from Jesus' words? It's not a direct quote of Deuteronomy 24. He only repeats the part of the law that concerns, that has been traditionally and historically abused. And guess what has been abused? The process of getting a divorce. What was said to them of old, make sure you get the process right. The reasons really don't matter. You need to hear that. Make sure the process of getting the divorce is right instead of making sure the reasons are right. One theologian writes again, among the Jews, divorce was a simple procedure for a man. He must write a bill of divorce in the correct form. It must have the words that permit the divorced wife to remarry. There must be proper witnesses. So there is no doubt to what is taking place and what is taking place, making sure the process is right. The reasons really don't matter. Listen to what the message Bible says. Remember the scripture that says whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim. 
pretending to be righteous just because you're legal. Pretending to be righteous just because you got the right process. TBC Saints, the reason for getting a divorce is just as important as the legal process. But do you believe it? Can you amen that? Israelite men are doing the opposite of what Moses intended in the law concerning divorce. They're divorcing their wives for any reasons. Reasons that aren't a threat to the foundation of the marriage covenant. I don't like the way you look at me. Here's your papers of divorce. I don't like your cooking. Here's your papers of divorce. I do not like your parents. Here are your papers of divorce. TBC Saints, those divorces are trivial and cavalier. And that's the issue that Jesus has here. These type of divorces, they break the sanctity of marriage and they are relational unfaithfulness. So what are some of the reasons your marriage could end in divorce? Singles, what would be your reasons that your future marriage would end in divorce if you have a desire to be married? What are they? What are your non-negotiables? In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus encounters a group of Pharisees while ministering in Judea. He's teaching and healing people who are following him. And see, Jesus, on this trip, he's minding his own business. He's not looking for no drama. He's not seeking out drama. And so he was trolled by a group of Pharisees. They seek him out for a theological debate. See, he was healing people. He wasn't looking for a debate. And so they come to Jesus with the purpose of testing him to see if his teaching would contradict the Old Testament teaching. And they come to Jesus and ask Jesus this question. And notice their question. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? That's the question to Jesus. Because you need to understand, what, what do you think they believe? Any reason. Jesus answers them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In response, they say to Jesus, notice again what they say. Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? And send her and send her away. Jesus says to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed this. But, it, but from the beginning, but from from God's from the institution of the sanctity of marriage, that was not God's intent. God's intent from the beginning where our first parents was that for marriage would be for the long haul. But we know we all live east of Eden now. We live east of Eden now. From the beginning, God wants spouses to be relational, faithful to one another. But yet many marriages don't make it. Many won't last. Some will end in divorce. Why? Have you ever asked you that question, why? My parents' marriage didn't make it. It ended in divorce. Some of your parents' marriages didn't make it. It ended in divorce. Some marriages just aren't able to recover from brokenness. 
They're not. They won't be able to heal from the damages that sin has brought upon it. TVC Saints, marriage is beautiful. It's wonderful. But it's, it's definitely not easy. It is not easy because both spouses have brokenness, broken places, issues that they have in their heart. And please know, bro, if you... If you're single and one day you're going to be married, if you're already married, please know that spouses bring a suitcase filled with family or origin junk into their marriage. You bring that suitcase with you. You don't leave it at your mom and daddy house. It comes with you. And so if you're married, then you have to embrace the fact that your spouse is broken with issues. We have to embrace that. And if you're single with a desire to be married, then please embrace the fact that you will marry a broken person with issues. You don't marry the wedding day. Okay. You don't marry the wedding day. You don't marry the ideal of being married. You don't marry a fantasy. You marry a real flawed person who's also created in the image of God. A spouse who will walk with you through the ups and downs, but who isn't created to be the center of your happiness. That is Jesus. You set your spouse up for failure if you want them to be the center of your happiness. Because guess what? They're going to disappoint you all the time. They were not created for that. When you marry that person, when God bring that person to your life, you both will cut a covenant between you two and God. And those wedding vows that you would take, they mean something. And, and they're not just empty words. Those wedding vows, they're covenantal words of commitment that's, that's not conditional. How many of you, when you took your marriage vow, says, I would do this if you do that? <laughs> I will love you if you love me. I will serve you if you serve me. Did you, did you, did you add conditions to it on the wedding day? No. The conditions come later when you realize what you did. (laughs) When you enter the marriage covenant, and that's what the Bible teaches about marriage, it is a covenant. It is not a contract. It is a covenant. And in that covenant, you're committing all that you are to the other person. You're committing to fight and do whatever it takes to build a healthy, God-honoring marriage to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to death do us part. Those are vows of commitment. So again, what is the state of your marriage? It's as healthy And as beautiful as you want it to be. That's the state of it. It is what you want it to be. You don't fall into a good marriage by accident. You don't. You don't fall into it like you fall into a ditch. You have to fight for good marriage. You have to labor with sweat and tears for relational faithfulness. And it will be hard. It will be difficult. It will be frustrating. Tim Keller says, Marriage by itself, marriage by its very nature has the power of truth. The power of truth. The power to show you the truth about who you are. 
Marriage shows you a realistic, unflattering picture of who you are, and it takes you by the back of the neck and forces you to pay attention to it. It shows you who you are. So who are you, husbands? Who are you, wives? Who are you? And here's the in TVC Saints, the power of truth in marriage is in grounds for divorce. Just because your marriage is revealing things about you are not grounds for divorce. Do you believe it? Difficulties and disappointments aren't grounds for divorce. Do you believe it? Loneliness and unhappiness aren't grounds for divorce. Do you believe it? Again, who sets the standard? Is it American culture who tells you the grounds? Or is it God's word who tells you the grounds? Because some of these things you're not going to like. I don't like it. Because some of us want to go into marriage also looking for a way out. The Bible does forbid marriage under two circumstances. Ones that aren't trivial or cavalier. Jesus mentions, mentions one of those in verse 32. And his words are firm, they're full of authority, and his words are thus says the Lord. He says, but I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman, a divorced woman commits adultery. And in Matthew 19, 9, he also says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. That is the first grounds. And sexual immorality, it includes a lot of different things. Include a lot of different things. The second circumstance is willful desertion. But what in the world does that mean, Alex? It's when a spouse abandons marital responsibilities or when a spouse abuses marital responsibilities. And one Christian counselor says, suggests chronic hardness of heart is a grounds for divorce. She says it's an example of willful desertion. She writes, chronic hardness of heart is a serious sin issue. A serious breach of marital bond, a serious uh, trust breakdown, and there is no repentance or willingness to look at that and how that affected the marital bond and the bond of trust. TVC Saints, the Bible permits divorce with boundaries and regulations. Jesus doesn't want trivial and cavalier divorces, and that's hard to live by because marriages is hard. It's difficult to accept when you live in a country where you can get an easy, untested divorce for $300. Right here in Alabama, it's easy. $300 to get you out of your marriage on Monday. Even the original disciples had a hard time receiving this teaching. In in Matthew 19.10, this is what they said to the disciples said to Jesus. If such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? <laughs> if divorce is so limited, is it better just not to marry at all, Jesus? If divorce has these type of boundaries and regulations, should I just stay single? Can I just be a bachelor forever? If divorce, if I can't divorce my spouse for any reason, is it better just to be by myself? Listen to the, what, your, what your Savior says to them. Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have, met, who have been so from birth, 
And there are units who have been made units by men. There are units who have been made themselves so for the sake of the kingdom. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Married couples, are you able to receive it? Singles, are you able to receive it? If God has given you a spouse, if he has given you a wife, if he has given you a husband, then he wants you to strive for relational faithfulness until death do you part. You can't say to God, the woman you gave me, the man you gave me. If he's giving you someone, he's giving that person to be a blessing in your life. If God has given you a marriage, then both spouses should, should, should fight for it together, especially during difficult times. Ask for help when you're in trouble. Go to marriage counseling. Because sometimes you really do get tired of listening to each other and you need a mediator. I'll be your Alexander Shannara, okay? If your marriage in trouble, just call me. Okay? Call me. Call me and we'll sit down and talk. We'll figure out a way to work it out. Because again, your marriage is as beautiful and as healthy as you want it to be. So if you're in trouble, call me. We all go through seasons, times, or dark times in our marriages. We do. What does Jesus' words mean for those who are single? If you're single and you have no desire to be married, then ask the Spirit to continue to give you contentment and other healthy relationships. And it doesn't mean, if you're, if you're not married, it doesn't mean you're less than. Does it mean you're second class within the body of Christ? Married people aren't some kind of super Christians, and you're not. So don't think of yourself as last Dan. If you're married, if you're single and you desire to be married, then you need to go out on dates. Okay? <laughs> Listen, I love Amazon, but your spouse ain't coming through Amazon or UPS. Let yourself be pursued. You're praying for it, but when someone asks you out, I don't want to go. You got to. Go on dates, people. It's okay. What about those who who have been who are divorced on biblical grounds? Please know if you have divorced in the past, that is not your identity. Okay? A failed marriage doesn't mean Jesus loves you any less. Does it mean you have to walk around within the body with a scarlet letter? And if those within the church gospel about you, they're in sin and are sinning against you. Please know that Jesus is still with you as Emmanuel. He knows. He knows that some of the marriages within his family aren't going to last. He knows that. And and what about those who may have divorced for grounds that are not biblical? Please know that Christ is still there for you, too. You don't have to walk around in shame and guilt of it. There's freedom for you. Please know that. Jesus understands. So no matter where you are, if you get a good marriage or a struggling marriage or if you've been divorced, please know that Jesus is still with you regardless of the circumstances that you're in. And some of you, please embrace that. And even the kids here, please know that. Some of you kids, I love you, but some of your marriages may end in divorce. I don't want that, but that's the world we live in. But you got to know if it fails, you're not a failure. Jesus still loves you and you will get through it.
you will get through it. This is real life stuff. Now, I can come in here and give you a Santa Claus sermon about how everything just going to work out. Some things just don't work out. The question is, how are you going to recover when it doesn't? How are you going to get through when it doesn't? Because the temptation for some of you that when you go through a, a hard marital time, some of you are going to distance yourself from the body. And that's what the enemy wants. That's when you should be coming closer to the body so that we can walk with you. No judgment here. No condemnation here. We are family. As family, we walk together through the hardness of life. Otherwise, we're just a country club. A broke country club, but a country club. (laughs) But nonetheless. Lamentations 3 says, The steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. If you're divorced, hope in Jesus. If you're divorced and remarried, hope in Jesus. If you're single with no desire to be married, hope in Jesus. If you're single with a desire to be married, hope in Jesus. If you're married and happy, hope in Jesus. If you're married and lonely and sad, hope in Jesus. That's your hope. That is your hope. And this table here is a reminder that even when we're relationally unfaithful, Christ is always faithful to us. Always faithful to us. This table is a reminder of where your hope lies in. Your hope does not lie in marriage. Your hope does not lie in your spouse. Does not lie in your kids. Your hope is in Jesus Christ alone. But do you believe that? And that's what this table represents. That Jesus is your hope and a hope that will not fail. When you leave here today, you can walk out of here with greater confidence, regardless of your circumstances. And we sung about that song today. As praise said, he God is God over our circumstances. Because he loves you. Even in your failures. Even in your failures. This table is a reminder that when sinners plunge beneath the blood of Jesus, they lose all their guilty stains. But do you believe it? That's what this table is reminding you of. It's a reminder of the gospel, of what Christ has done for you upon the cross. That's what this table is a reminder of, that he loves you, that he died for real sins, and he died for all of them, past, present, and future. And that when God sees you, he sees son and daughter. That's who he sees. But is that who you see in the mirror every morning? But is that who you see? If you have saving faith in Jesus, then he invites you to partake of this meal. Friends and neighbors, if you do not profess faith in Christ, I'm glad that you're here. And if you have a question about what it means to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then please come see me after service and we can sit down and we can talk and I can share the good news with you. Adults, we ask the kids that are with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table by the elders. Kids. My favorite part of the communion. I need all the TBC kids, all my chillings to look up here at me. This meal, this table, this supper is a reminder that Jesus loves each and every one of you.
that he died on the cross for your sins. It's a reminder. The world would say it's not true, but this meal is a reminder that he loves you. Even when you're disobedient to your parents, he loves you. He loves you when you mess up. He loves you. And it's my prayer as your pastor that each and every one of you will come to saving faith in Jesus and be able to partake of this meal with your parents or your grandparents. So I'm going to ask the officers to come forward, and then I'm going to pray a blessing over the meal. And also, as I pray, please pray and ask the Holy Spirit to use this meal to bring spiritual nourishment to your soul. Again, Christianity is highly supernatural. Please understand that, saints. It's highly supernatural. What takes place in this Lord's Supper is supernatural. The Holy Spirit used bread and his juice to spiritually nourish God's people. Please ask him to do that for you right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you know where we are. You know where our relationships are. You know where we are mentally. You know where we are in our hearts. You know where we are in all of our relationships. You know our struggles and our fears and our insecurities, our anxieties. You know all those things that we're currently dealing with. And I pray that you would use this meal to comfort us in those fears, in those anxieties, in those frustrations. Use this meal to to remind us that, that we're not orphans. We're not navigating this world below as a nameless people, as a forgottenness people, as a homeless people. We navigate this as beloved, as saints, as sons and daughters of Yahweh Elohim. Because Emmanuel is with us. Help us in our unbelief, Holy Spirit. Minister to us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.